everybody. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. We uh, have had a wonderful weekend. We were here Friday all day with the students and then yesterday with all the people that came to the seminar. And then I'm with you all day today. And then I'm off to Norway where it's not as warm as it is here. But um, they got some good Scandinavian Christians up there. I like Wendy to stand up in the back of the room. I want everybody to acknowledge this wonderful lady that's a graduate of our school and a member of your church. We want to salute you. If um, if all of if all of my graduates were like her, we could take the world. She's a grandma that got up and quit being a grandma and became a great warrior for Jesus, along with grandmahood, but didn't let grandmahood stop her from obeying what God told her to do. Great example, and we salute you today, and we honor you, and we're so thankful that you obey. Amen. And thank you for making me and him friends, too, by the way. Amen. She was the glue that got us together, so we're very, very happy. Um, I have um, three sermons I want to preach today, and I don't know which one to preach even yet. Um, But since we've been going all weekend long on, on the revival history, open your Bibles to the book of Acts, the 18th chapter. And I want to journey with you through a biblical story of a revival called the Church of Ephesus, or the Revival at Ephesus. And um, in the scriptures, sometimes we get what we call a a news brief about something that happened. Philip went down to Samaria and preached Christ unto them, and they believed because they saw the signs and the wonders, and there was great joy in the city. That's called a news brief of a revival in Samaria. Not against it, but as a historian, I'm like, well, what else happened? Who did what? More details, please. How did Philip Philip preach? What did he do? So you even find that in the Gospels about Jesus when he would go different places and preach. Most of what we know about the Lord's preaching is little news briefs of little clips of his sermons. Then we have the Sermon on the Mount, a complete sermon. But most of what we know are little bleeps, bleeps, bleeps. You're going to look at it as a historical record. So when you look at the story of Ephesus, we have the complete story of how God brought the revival, birthed the church, what happened before, during, after the great breakthrough. And so to continue with what I'm doing with this weekend, I want to teach you and show you a revival story in the book of Acts. It's a complete one. And uh, we'll even have, I don't have time to preach it this morning, but we have... Paul's last address to the elders of Ephesus before his commitment or his mandate to that church lifted and came on the next generation. So I want you to journey with me in your scriptures. If you have your Bibles, keep them open. If they're on your phone, turn your phone on to Acts 18. Thank you for the amen on that. I was in Bible school when I was the principal out here at Kensington Temple and one of our students was on the front row, and I thought he was texting his girlfriend during my class on his phone. So I kind of said, turn your phone off and, you know, listen. He came to me afterwards and goes, Pastor, that's where my Bible is. So I had to apologize to the whole class. So that's why I said, open your Bibles or turn your phones on today if that's where you keep your Bible. Please read your Bible. Just don't hold it. Just don't carry it or have it. Read it. The devil don't mind you having the Bible. He just don't want you to read it and believe anything in it. That's the deal. Good morning. You all say amen on a Sunday morning. Amen. Thank you. I'm Pentecostal, so I need amens when I preach, okay? Um, 
I'm also an American Pentecostal from the southern part of America. I need you to wave a hanky at me once in a while too, okay? Have you, have you ever seen the southern Pentecostal? That's right, brother. Come on, say it again. They'll, they'll do it like that. If you've ever been to a southern church in America, especially Pentecostal and Afro-American church in the southern part of America, when you come over for your holiday, make sure you find a Sunday morning to go to a southern Pentecostal church or an Afro-American church. And that's an all-day episode. And take your hanky with you because they're going to be using it. And uh, so sometimes you see it on TV. You know, you see the TV. Sometimes it's wider than what you see on... There you go. Well, why do they got it on TV? And um, I was preaching one Sunday morning, and this church didn't do the hanky. They just stood up and did this. And I couldn't figure out what that meant. Were they mad at me or happy with me? So uh, in church in America, they preach back at you. In, a, in England, they think about you. So uh, however you operate, have a good time this morning, okay? What do you guys do in China? You guys sing, clap, or just stare at the preacher? You don't understand. Well, what are they, when I was over in China, they just look at you and go, mm-hmm. That's what they do in China. So everybody has the way of responding to the word and their cultural thing. And when you're a world traveler, it's all fun. And uh, But for an American in the South, if you don't get an amen once in a while, you wonder if you like me or not. We have a complex that we have to get delivered from. All right, Acts 18. You found it yet? We're going to journey fast. And uh, I'm going to be the newspaper reporter today. I'm going to tell you the story as a reporter, and so we can learn. Acts 18 and 24. Most revivals is a marathon race. It is handed from one to another, sometimes from one generation to another, or from one plowing to another plower. And it starts with Apollos. It says, a certain Jew, verse 24, named Apollos. We don't know much about Apollos. We do know that he was a recognized apostle from the Apostle Paul, and he shows up in Scripture with a great respect of who and what he was. And we found that he was born in Egypt in the city of Alexandria. He was an eloquent man, and he was mighty in Scripture. That meant he knew his Scriptures. You can't be a great preacher and build a governing church if the leadership and the people don't know the Bible. If all you know is how to sing and don't know the words, you cannot fight successfully. You've got to have the combinations. I have a, a book that I'm writing, if I ever get it done, called The Great Combos in the Bible. You ever been to McDonald's? <laughs> McDonald's has a missionary spirit. That's why they're all over the world. And I'm so glad for McDonald's. It's kept many American missionaries on the mission field. When they start going through culture withdrawals, take them to the Golden Arches for lunch, and they're fine for six more weeks. I know it sounds crazy, but I never eat at McDonald's until I go overseas and thank God for the golden arches. I don't know. It's one of those weird things. But um, we, we, we have those that have to know the scriptures. The scriptures is the food that brings the nourishment that gives you the strength to endure contrary winds that come against what you're to do in society and in life. Amen. And most of you, when you leave this church, you're not going to an open heaven. You're going to a closed heaven to open it. Amen. So you've got to build your muscle so when you get there, it's called fun. Not, oh my God, bring me back to Eastgate so I can live again. We don't want that attitude. We want you to get it here, get it inside even wherever God plants you to build a church or assist something or do something. You've got Arnold Schwarzenegger muscles. Amen. You're, to use an old story, you're a Rambo all by yourself. Does that make sense? 
So you got to put the word and the spirit together, the worship and the word together. He was mighty in scriptures and he journeyed and he came to the great city of Ephesus. He, there was a man, this man was instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. Now notice how they keep describing him. He was instructed in the way of the Lord, but we'll find in the next verse, he needed a little more help to know more things. You never know everything. You're always learning and always growing. Stay hungry. If you get satisfied, that's your first step to a backslidden, grumpy Christian. Amen. And if you're among a satisfied group of people, try to provoke them in a good way to get hungry again. If they don't want to get hungry, leave that dead, dumb bunch and go someplace else. Uh, I'm a guest speaker. I'm leaving tomorrow so I can talk like this, okay? Uh, Not every church this morning was Jesus welcomed into like he was here with you. He would like to have gone to every church in the UK and Europe and in my country of America. But I'd have to say there are many of them that only use his name, borrow his symbols, and use nice verses, but never allow him to come to the front door of their church because Jesus does not obey your order of service. He interrupts it most of the time. He may extend something. He may shrink a time. He may cause the whole message to be different than how you intellectually and and prepared. That's why we have to be led by the Spirit. And it says here, he was instructed in the way of the Lord and he was fervent in spirit. That meant he had a tenacity about him. Uh, A fervent person usually makes weak people feel weird. And if you're not careful, a weak gang will gang up on you and call you arrogant for being strong. And so when the weak gang groups up, you laugh at them, ha, 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 and keep right on going. Amen. Don't obey the majority of weak people. Help them that won't help. If they don't want help, give them to Jesus and go on about your life. Amen. We got some Pentecostals from the south over there, all right? Over here we have the British. (laughs) All right. All right. Don't stone me yet. Let me get through my sermon. All right. And it says, he spake and taught diligently. Uh, he, He proclaimed and he explained. Jesus and all great ministers in the scriptures and throughout time had both muscles in their spiritual capacity. They were proclaimers. That means you don't have to define it. Jesus is a healer. He's a soon coming king. They proclaimed. That's a type of blasting through. A type of impregnating the hearts. But then there came the teaching. The explaining of why he's a healing Jesus. Or how to receive salvation. And what it means. So great preachers and great believers must have both muscles. you got two arms two ears and two legs and two spiritual abilities to proclaim and then at the right moment explain or teach under the same anointing. Hallelujah. And he says, not he only knew one thing. He only knew the baptism of John. There's a lot of folks today that only know one or two things about God. Hopefully you know four or five. You, You can't sit under Pastor Peter and his wife and be stupid. Good morning, everybody. If you remain ignorant in this church, it's your own fault. You're sitting here in this church and you do a grocery list instead of hearing the message. You kind of wonder, when are we going to get out of church? When we're done. 
It may be time for the rugby match or we might be all the way through the rugby match. I don't know. It's up to God. Have you heard God first, not rugby first? See, notice we got one amen from that. We'll give you five pounds for that. Good morning. I'm going to try to raise the dead over here. This group, this group's alive. This one, they're kind of in a coma. All right. Verse 26. (laughs) That's only two verses. We got a whole lot of them to go. Verse 26, it says, and he began to speak boldly in the church or the synagogue. He didn't whisper. And what do you mean by speaking boldly? He spoke with authority. Authority inside of every born-again person, and especially spirit-filled people. They have a resident authority that's inside of you. And we don't pray out of our human authority. We don't speak from our human ability. We want the spiritual ability to supersede everything we are in the natural. Because the authority of God penetrates the darkness and a hardened heart and a resistant climate and you can win. And everybody has it. It, Good, the Chinese guy woke up. (laughs) Hallelujah. He got it. Everybody's got it. Amen. So, don't, I'm not like that. Yes, you are. You say, well, I'm a nice lady, but inside of you is mighty power. Inside of, of your beautiful children jumping and dancing across the front, inside of their little hearts is the same mighty power that's in you. We all have it. So please use it. When you get to heaven, you're not going to be asked how shiny your armor is and given an award for the one that glows the most. He'll probably get an award for the dented, most dented shield, the most dirty and bloodiest sword because you've been working and fighting while you're down here. If you don't want to fight, I have a prophecy for you. Go on to heaven. Get off the planet and go on up to heaven and do something up there. Good morning, everybody. I love you. He spake boldly in the synagogue when, here's a beautiful, wonderful something we don't see. A husband and wife team, Priscilla and Aquila, was sitting in the synagogue when Apollos came and they had received the Holy Spirit and they were all excited. And when they saw Apollos, they went, wow, he's got everything you need, but he don't have the Holy Spirit baptism. He only knows John, but look what he's doing with John's revelation. Let's take him to lunch. And so the Bible says Priscilla and Quilla took him unto themselves, took him to lunch or brought him to their house or did something with him and said, listen, Apollos, and when you're hungry, you can always hear the voice of a revelation you need. When you're satisfied, you fight to stay in charge, but a hungry heart doesn't mind how God brings truth to you. It can come from a famous person or from a nice Christian couple named Priscilla and Quilla and goes, We heard you preach today, and you did a great job, but you need a little bit more understanding on this. And they expanded it to him, and he received it. Wow. He received it. He didn't get mad and curse them next Sunday morning in church and call them false prophets. He goes, I like this. You know, some people are so arrogant that unless they get it first, it can't be from God. My grandmother always told me a little truth that I've kept, but it's helped me all of my life. She said, when somebody has more of God than you do, don't criticize them. Go over and get it. Go over and get it. You know? So if 
somebody has a dimension of God about faith or healing or worship and prayer, whatever it is that's better than yours or working better than yours, don't get mad. Go over with hunger and expectation and a teachable heart and see if it can come and be a part of you and you can carry it back for where God's planted you. And now you have all of that plus that. Like some folks, well, I, I, I don't like Bill Johnson. Why? Well, you know, he has painters in his church. Well, get over it. You know, I, I, I preach in all kinds of streams. You're fun, though. Some streams is called raising the dead service. I preach for them and go for them. But they'll say, why, why do you go over here to, to Peter's church? They, they wave flags and they dance around and they do weird things. They're fun. They actually are hungry and great. But, you know, I, I, you've got a dimension of God that some of these churches that criticize you should shut up and come over and get it. They should bring their worship team and put them right here in the front and say, worship and watch. Learn and get. They should bring some of their kids and let them play with your kids up here and learn to get a flay around the river of God. But, mm, well, I've learned early in my life when somebody's got more of God than I do, I don't criticize them. How do I get this inside of me? How do I get it? Zap me, spit on me, kick me, whatever it takes, let me get it. Amen. All right? So, you know... When, when I get real old, I want to be with the wildest group when I'm an old man. I don't want to be with, well, I remember when. I want to say, I'm still doing it. I'm still running with it. Amen. I'll be 50 next year, and I don't plan to retire. I plan to get fired up and be crazier than I were the first 50 years of my life. And he says, it goes on in verse 27, the brothers wrote a letter to the other disciples. He's exhorting the disciples to receive Apollos, who, when he was come, helped them much that had believed through grace. For he was he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. That was the first plow of the Ephesus revival. Then, Acts 19, the baton of the plow, or the handle of the plow, with a few residents, was handed to Paul, verse 1. It came to pass after Apollos was come to Corinth, Paul, passing through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and he found certain disciples. And he looked at them and he asked them a question. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto Paul, we have not heard whether there be anything called the Holy Ghost. And Paul was a tad confused for a moment. He asked, then how are you baptized? And they said, oh, John the Baptist baptism. And he goes, oh, I know what you got. You just got the water part. It's time for the fire and spirit part. And he goes, oh, okay. Then Paul said, John barely baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, and that is Christ Jesus. And when these 12 men heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord, and Paul laid his hands on them, and the Holy Ghost came, and they, and they, and they, and they what? Spake with tongues. Hallelujah. Speaking in tongues makes you normal. If you don't pray in tongues, you're kind of goofy. Let's get it going the right direction, folks. And it says they prayed in tongues and they prophesied. Wow. All within the same five minutes of the baptism, the Holy Spirit filled them and they begin to speak with tongues. And everybody in this church, including your children down in the Champions Church, should pray in tongues. 
Mine sounds like this. Branta, frebekisso, to look at the level and day. Harbanda, brakasso, branda, lerigabahai. Harbe, shikin, lerigabahai. That's mine. What's yours like? You should never be afraid to let people hear you pray in the glorious language of God. If they go, I've never heard it. Do you want to hear it? Oh, some will go, yes. Others, no, 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 no. But I have no problem giving them a sign and a wonder out of my mouth. Amen. So some of your friends say, I've heard about these tongues, people. So you want to hear some tongues? Brother Roberts, we're at dinner at their house. What a better place to have a Holy Ghost revival right there at the dinner table. They might get scared. They might just get filled too. Quit being British scared. Start being British brave. See, they're still got it. This bunch is still kind of got a problem. All right. Now notice, notice verse eight. Now verse seven says there were twelve men that he met, met with this. Let me just make this point. It is a biblical right and a biblical question. To ask somebody, once they say they're a Christian, you have a biblical verse to say, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? You have the right to ask that question politely and scripturally. Uh, And some will go, yes, I am. Then I'll always say, let me hear you speak in tongues then. Well, I don't do that. Well, then you're not filled. You may have the witness of the Spirit because you're born again. But to be filled with the Spirit, there come several signs. One being... The evidence of speaking in tongues. Praise the Lord. We can have the same thing that Peter and Paul had and Mother Mary had and everybody else had. If all you ex-Catholics realize Mary prayed in tongues, you should follow her example that way. Quit bugging her in prayer and pray in tongues. Good morning, everybody. We'll let that go over. <laughs> Verse 8. Are you enjoying this? I'm just reading you the story of the Ephesus revival. And he went into the synagogue... And spake boldly for the space of three months concerning the kingdom of God. Now, here's something that's very important for you to notice. Notice all the clocks in the Bible. The timepieces in the Bible. Because when we usually read the Bible, we read the Bible. Chapter 18 happened on Monday. 19 was on Tuesday. And 20 was on Wednesday. 21 was on Thursday. That's how we read the Bible. Sometimes there was a year between chapters or longer than that. Notice here, he had the 12 men get spirit-filled and begin to work with him, and he goes to the synagogue for 90 days and preaches every day for 90 days, and here's how he did it. Boldly. He didn't go, how are you? He didn't go tiptoeing in the synagogue. He was an apostle. He was a man of God. He goes, hey, I've got good news. That which Joel prophesied has come to pass, and the Messiah is coming. Here's the way it is. Ninety straight nights or days. And we're trying to get you to come to church for three days in a row. He went for 90 nights or 90 days preaching boldly. And there was no breakthrough. We had no revival yet. We're still plowing. We're still breaking the foul ground. We're still maneuvering. We're sowing the seeds and watering the seeds. And he preached for 90 days and there wasn't a big breakthrough, but verse 9 happened. The divers were hardened and did not believe and spake evil of the way before the multitude. And he departed from them and separated the disciples disputing or teaching in a school one called Tyrannus. Now watch this. And he continued this. Here's another clock for the space of Two years so that all that dwelt in Asia or known Asia heard about the Lord. But notice the clock. 
We've now got two years and three months. And the revival still hasn't happened. That's why many ministers and many people get upset because they don't understand the clocks in the Bible. And we preachers don't highlight the clocks. So we think we prayed yesterday, by Saturday afternoon, it should happen. If it does, hallelujah. And there are moments like that, don't get me wrong. But there are moments like this that was in Paul's life. So there are places that God may send you to build churches or to assist those that are there that have been plowing for five years or plowing for two years. And you think, and they're weary and they're discouraged. Do the clock sermon. Go through the Bible and read all the clocks. So they can understand that what they're in is not a mistake on their side. It is how the spiritual environment and the spiritual terrain still needs work and labor. So be encouraged. Keep plowing. Keep sowing. Keep singing. Keep making the devil eat dirt. And don't give up. Amen. Don't be discouraged. Many British people... Good people have gone to parts of the UK with a mandate from God, an anointing from God, went there for a season, and they quit because it didn't happen in their timing. And good people gave up. And those cities remained in darkness or a little bit of light. Some places takes longer than two and a half years. Some of them will be plowed in your lifetime And because God loves you and you've done a good work, he'll eliminate you or he'll release you from a time you've done your work here and give it to someone else to keep the plow going because he knows of our natural limitations and he has to pass it to another person or another generation or another another somebody. And doesn't mean you're a failure. It means you did your part for that moment to keep the breakthrough going. You may not see it, but you can when you do hear about it, you can say, I helped do that. And even the ones enjoying the harvest may not know that you plowed, but God knows who went there and who did what. And he rewards you accordingly. Isn't that great? Like all those African revivals in Africa today, David Livingston probably has a mountain behind his house in heaven of all the rewards he keeps getting because he plowed the interior of Africa to make a way for all the ministries that went to Africa and are still going today. So... When you get to heaven, look for the mountain of rewards that's probably Livingston's house. Think about that. He didn't have hardly any converts in his whole life when he traveled through Africa. He mapped it out. He worked it. He was bit by a lion. A hippo bit his canoe in two. He almost lost his life many times. And he didn't have any converts, but he knew he was plowing a road for the future missionaries and the British government to come and to help stop the slave trade and the missionaries to bring the gospel to the heathen dark lands of interior of Africa. Wow. So when you go see his body over in Westminster Abbey, do a little shout over it because he's probably having a great time right now. <laughs> Amen. You, you may scare everybody in the Abbey, but that's okay. He's one of you, so enjoy it. He's shouting in heaven too. Are you enjoying my sermon? Verse 11 is the first sign of a breakthrough. God brought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought the sick handkerchief and aprons and diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. That was the first little wow that began to happen, that the breakthrough had just begun to happen. Now the next one from verse 13 uh, on down to about uh, 18, we have a demon story. Uh Uh-oh, a demon story. Uh Uh-oh, a demon story. 
Please cast out devils. They are in England. They just wear suits. They wear nice clothes and drive nice cars and have good jobs. And sometimes one guy in America said, demons are only in Africa. I thought, I met one yesterday right here in the restaurants. You know, so demons operate in any society where there is not a Christian authority operating. And to cast out demons, the Bible says, have faith. You don't have to be a preacher. You have to have faith. And in that name, you make the demon that is oppressing or possessing someone get off or get out of them. And you can do it anywhere that you meet the devil. If the devil roars at you on the tube, you do it right there. Good morning, everybody. Say, well, <laughs> well, they'll think I'm crazy. No, when they see the freedom, they'll think, wow, that was interesting. You might have a little revival for 10 minutes right there on the underground. I did that once when I lived here. A little lady kept sticking her tongue out of me. I thought I was tired that day. I'd been preaching all weekend. Had to get to the Bible school on Monday morning, heading to the KT. Nice looking lady. Dressed well, hair combed, you know, looked like her, her mind was right. I thought, I'm not in the mood for this. But... When they start manifesting, you better start exercising your authority. So I got up and sat next to her. I said, why are you sticking your tongue at me? I said, yeah, I understand. You can't help yourself because something lives inside you that shouldn't be there. She started making weirder faces. And I said, you don't scare me. I met your cousin. <laughs> you don't bother me. So I said, um, I said, I'm going to take care of uh, this thing inside of you, lady, before we get to the next stop, because I get off at the next stop. So we got about 30 seconds. She just made all kinds of faces. And the lady in front of me kind of screwed over that way because she saw there was coming a problem. <laughs> so I just put my hand on her hand and I said, you foul, unclean thing, come out of her right now. Shut up and come out. And it went, I said, put your tongue back in your mouth and look like a normal person. I said, now be happy and be free. And like her eyes got normal. I said, I got to go now. Just thank Jesus for it. Bye-bye. And walked off. <laughs> you know, that's all, that's all it is. It's a demon. But in, in, in this story, if you read it, it's a stupid person that tries to cast out a devil. It's the son of a, of a religious person. It's a religious family thinking, I saw Paul do this and he's famous and so I'm going to do this. And so he finds a person full of the devil. And they come and say, I adjure you in the name of Jesus who Paul preaches, come out. And then it goes, is that right? <laughs> he says, I know Jesus and Paul, we know very well. We have no idea who you are, and because you bug me, we're going to beat you up really good and take all your clothes off and make you run down the street naked, bleeding, and screaming and become a CNN news report. <laughs> and that's what happened. All of a sudden, in verse 9, in whom, verse 16, the evil spirit was on, leapt on them, overcame them, and prevailed against them, and they fled out of the house naked. Uh-oh, naked people. <laughs> and they were wounded. So you got a streaker in the New Testament. 
in Ephesus. And we haven't got a revival yet and you're not respecting it. They still think you're goofy people. And now this is going to prove to all the other people how weird you are because there goes a naked man running down the street. And some of his brothers and a guy chasing them and they're bleeding. Ah, running for their dear life. Welcome to revival. Ephesus. And the revival hasn't even happened yet. So we've had 12 people and begin to grow. We got kicked out of the synagogue. We're in the school. It's been two and a half years. There's been special miracles. We have a streaking demon situation going on. And then we have another happening. All of a sudden, there begin to be a prevailing a little bit, a little more breakthrough because of the preaching and the living. And all those who were involved in witchcraft said, we've given our life to Christ, but what do we do with all of our Ouija boards and all of our other witchcraft books and stuff? Paul goes, well, don't sell it. Let's burn it. And they burned, had a public burning of evil witchcraft stuff, which England could do quite almost every week uh, around this country, all the weird stuff you have in your country. You know, you should have some burnings, have some big barrels outside. So we're going to burn pornography. We're going to burn bad DVDs. We're going to burn witchcraft stuff and all this false pagan stuff that's come into your life or come into your children's life. And now that you serve God, you want to get rid of all of that stuff. You don't want to sell it. You want to burn it so there's no place else for it to go and live. And they brought all of it and it was 50,000 worths of silver was the worth of, uh, worth of all of that. Now, verse 20 is the important verse. It says, so mightily grew the word of God, and here's where the revival started, and prevailed. The revival didn't start until the prevailing began. Prevailing means you begin to dismantle the prince's seat of authority. The critical mass begin to shift, and all of a sudden, what used to rule Ephesus, now the Christians... And the mightiness of God had got to the place where it was prevailing and the revival start with the prevailing. And then look what happened after that verse 23. And there came about the same time, there came, now notice how the British write this, no small stir. The Americans would say, there was a big fight, but the British, and there was no small stir. No wonder the Bible is confusing for some people. We, we don't quite talk the same way. But there came no small stir about the way or about Christianity. And the union boss, whose name was Demetrius, he was the head of the silversmiths, verse 24. And he made shrines for Diana and brought no small gain under their craftsmen. He called all, he, he called for a union meeting of all the silver makers. All you who make Diana in the backyard and sell her in the front yard, come. We have a meeting. He called them all together, verse 25. In verse 24, he says this. He says, Moreover, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but throughout all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away much people. We want much, 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 much people in England to be saved. We want much people in Europe to be turned from darkness to light. Not one or two, but thousands at a time. And here was his killer statement that made the devil mad and lose. In every revival or every great minister, there seems to be a verse or a statement that when they say it, there's something about it, it's like a battering ram. 
It's like a battle axe. Old Roberts was, God is a good God and the devil is a bad devil. When Oral said that, 10,000 folks would get up on their feet in the tent and go, ah, and scream and yell and shout. When he would say that in 1950, Kenneth Hagin came along and he would say, you can have what you say, Mark 11, 23 and 24. And people would clap and shout, Woo! we learned that we could speak like God and have God results when it was in line with his word. Catherine Kuhlman would come on TV every morning in America and say her great line, I believe in miracles because I believe in God. That was her line. What was Paul's line? What was his battle axe that caused this revival? Here it is, verse 26. There be no gods which are made with hands. That was the line that when he said it, it became like a battle axe. Bam! And hit the prince and hit the chains, hit the darkness. And he, they quote it. The opposition quotes the line that hurted them, hurts them the most. Paul would do all of his preaching, all of his sermonizing, if you want to say it that way. But when he would get to this line, there come a special anointing of authority that rise up out of his spirit. And he'd say, all you at Ephesus, all you at Rome, all you here in these places, hear me, there are no gods made by the hands of man. And when he would say that, bam, it would hit and it would shake. And it was the line that even the devil knew. Even Demetrius, the guy head of the, of the union, the pagan goddess Diana, quoted his line. Here's what he said. And when he says it, verse 27 happens. So then not only our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but the temple of the great goddess Diana will be despised and her magnificent will be destroyed from all of who all of Asia worships. Notice the arrogance. And when they heard this, verse 28, they got angry and they yelled with a loud voice. Don't be scared of yellers. Just yell back. I don't know why British people are scared of yellers. Have you been to a football game? You all lose your voice. I went to a football game when I went here. And I thought, why can't we do this in church? I mean, you guys go nuts. You lose your mind. You lose your voice. You throw your beer everywhere. It's nuts in those places. You come to church and you act like professional dead. There's something wrong with this picture. Please act like you're at a football game and God's winning. Amen. Be happy about it. See, what's wrong with you people? All right, I've got a few more minutes. Give me about six minutes here. And they yelled. They screamed. Great is Diana our God. You know, I, I started doing this when people use the Lord's name in vain in public. They'll say, Jesus Christ is Lord. <laughs> I, I, I add the rest of the sentence. I, I'm, I'm tired of people using the name that saved me in vain. I'm tired of them using the name that I worship, the name that I run to and I'm safe, the name that I preach everywhere I go and say, if you believe in Jesus, you can have eternal life. That name by which men are saved, the devil's trying to use it as a curse word and a slang word and lose its holiness of salvation. Stand up for it. So one day I just thought, every time I hear them say the name of the Lord in vain, I'm going to say something good about it and finish the sentence for them. I'm going to capture it. So when you say, Jesus Christ is good. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ likes you anyway. You know, you, you, you might want to find something you can do and, and do something like that. Amen. 
Hallelujah. They look at you funny, but I finished the sentence the right way. Because I like Jesus. I like him a whole lot. I've, I've worked for him since I was 13 years old. And I like working for him too. I like it. The whole city got mad. Verse 29 to the end of the chapter is the whole city got an uproar. And this is when the revival shifted. And when the revival prevailed and began to manifest, the principality got mad. And all those aligned with the prince began to vibrate and react against the house of the Lord and God's people. And the whole city was in confusion, the Bible says. And they ran into the big theater where they would have their public gatherings. And Paul goes, the whole town is in the theater. I got them in one spot. Let me go get them. I like that apostolic spirit. They're not afraid of anything, but they also have the ability to hear the folks around them. And at this particular time, in verse 31 and 30, Paul wanted to go into the big theater and preach. He goes, they're all there. They said, Paul, they're going to kill you. He goes, I've been left for dead many times. No problem. He says, all these scars, they beat me, but I keep coming back. It's not a deal. I've done this before. He says, no, no, this time, don't do it. Let somebody else do it. And he listened to them. That shows you the mark of a great leader, having the ability to listen to a person next to them, maybe about the same status, but he could hear the counsel of God in the voice and said, okay, I hear you. I won't do it. And another one of his companions stood up in the middle of the theater. When they found out that he was a Jew, it made him more angry. And the Bible says for the space of two more hours, they screamed and yelled until the city mayor came and said, you guys, if you don't shut up and you don't go home, the Roman rulers are going to ask us, why was there a disturbance today? And there is no lawful answer that we can give to our Roman uh, leaders here. Because these men have not stole anything. And if they've done anything wrong, the law is open and Demetrius has the right to bring a lawsuit. And he has not done that. So you all better shut up and go home real fast. And that was the first day of the revival of Ephesus. Next chapter, verse 1. To me, the most unique, funny thing Paul did... Acts 20 and 1 said, and after the uproar was over, Paul called his disciples together and hugged them and left for Macedonia. You think you worked for three years, you finally got the breakthrough, and you're leaving now? His job was done. He had spent three years to get the revival breakthrough to happen. And we're upset because it didn't happen in the first 90 days. Great Britain is going to have a massive revival. We're going to have it in our lifetime. But I want us to be aware that not everything happens like that. And if you happen to be in a place somewhere in the world, somewhere in this beautiful country of yours, in a small village or another big town, and you've been working there, assisting or building your own thing that God's told you to build with your, your team. And it's not quite happening as fast as you want. Go back and read the Ephesus Revival for a Sunday morning sermon. And highlight the clocks in the Bible. Some things happened. Paul stayed for a year. 
He stayed here three years and he didn't have a breakthrough until the last day. And when it happened, he goes, I'm done. We got it. Bye. And he leaves the revival in the hands of the people he trained for three years. And he went on with his next. We got one person over there got alive. Amen. <laughs> Finally, we got him going. So this morning, I wanted, to, I wanted to highlight this for you quickly. And my main point in reading these two chapters to you is to highlight that it didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen in a few months. It took approximately, as you read in the next chapter, he says, I was with you for three years. I was with you for three years, night and day, talking to you, training you, helping you, warning you, and preparing you for this moment. So what you have here at this beautiful church is a great heavens that have begun to open. But many of you in the days to come will be assigned by God to go a place where the heavens aren't open like this. And you to go to where the hungry heart is and the burden of the Lord is to help build something like that in that village or that town in this great country. You see, you can have great evangelistic campaigns. I'm glad when Bonky comes and preaches or Osborne, whoever the great evangelist is, and people get saved. It's wonderful. But what keeps the ground secure after the campaign of evangelism is strong local churches. And so we've got to be able to build churches like this all over Europe, all over Eastern Europe, all over the United Kingdom. And go in. You see, aren't there enough churches? That's what they call themselves, but they're really not churches of Jesus. They're churches of demon religious powers for most of them. You can't even get a good amen out of the professional dead. <laughs> Let them have an altar call or have, have a song service that goes into different melodies of your soul. You know, how, you know how wonderful that is? I was watching the young ladies this morning lead worship and I thought, I'm not that old. But I remember when that, when, you know, your little song, you'd start and you'd come up and give a little song and, that never happened when I was a teenager in my 20s and 30s. I mean, when I first started preaching the song of the Lord, they thought I was crazy. And I would begin to sing the song of the Lord, and I'm not a singer. I make joyful noise. <laughs> but I had to demonstrate the song of the Lord to the people. Because they had no idea how it was to sing out of your spirit. The song of the Lord, and the whole church would gather together and sing like they did in the Old Testament. For the Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever. And they sang that for a space of time to where the cloud filled the house, Lord, and the priest could not stand the many because of the cloud. It came because of the song of the Lord that came to them. They didn't know what it was. We, we just do the blood song. Well, that was good. I like blood songs. I like, I like conquering songs. We should sing some little more of those. You know, let's go take the land and take, the, you know, we got to sing some of those too with some of these. We've got to sing those other ones too, all right? And uh, you got you to you gotta mix them together a little bit. Because uh, what you preach and what you sing is what the people do. And so you, you, you're called to help build all kinds of churches. Or I should say churches, all different kinds of places for Jesus' sake. Don't be afraid. Some of you think you're going to be here forever. And you're here for training, and God's going to launch you. Amen. Stand up on your feet. I know they're going to go get their babies. In about five minutes, a new congregation will come in. That has no understanding of how to stay in one spot. Hallelujah. Amen. Did you enjoy my sermon this morning? Amen. Did I help anybody?
praise the Lord.